Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in store or online at TotalWine.com. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the NBA Podcast. We have a great episode for you today. We're going to wrap up the NBA Finals, discuss what's next for Cleveland and Golden State, and then we are going to go ham on the draft, which is less than a week away. Before we get underway, just wanted to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find all three of our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so be sure to subscribe, download, leave some reviews. We'd love any feedback. And you and now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. You can find us this year on FanRag Sports, so check them out on Twitter at FanRag Sports and for their NBA content at FanRag NBA. Though the 2016-17 season is over, basketball never stops. We've got the draft coming up in a week, free agency at the start of July, so... We will have a lot of content coming out the next couple weeks. Uh, joining me this week, as always, are my two co-hosts, Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. How's it going, you two? It's going well, Brian. School has finally wrapped up for me. That is good to hear. And Sarah, good to have you back. We've been missing you the last couple weeks. It's good to be back. I was pretty sure James was going to just take my spot permanently. <laughs> he tried, but... We'll, we'll have it back later this summer so you guys could hit it off. Uh, also this week, we have a special guest, Sam Vecini. Uh, Sam, let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work. So you can find me at Sam underscore Vecini on Twitter. Uh, you can find my work at Sporting News. You can find it at Vice. You can find it at SethsDraftHouse.com. It's a new venture with Seth Davis. It's very exciting. Uh, we got a lot of really great writers uh, over there, like George Dorman and Alex Wolf, and some other uh, really interesting, like Pulitzer Prize winners. And then you have like me, uh, so it's all <laughs> just hilarious and uh, a great mix of content, though. And I think that if you go over there, you'll be uh, 
you'll be very uh, very entertained at the very least. Yes, I've checked it out. It's really it is great stuff. Uh, it's good to see that Seth is still in the game after leaving Sports Illustrated. And yeah, I mean, I hope to see it continue on in the future. So check out Sam's work there at Sporting News as well and on Twitter. Uh, we'll start this week with a recap of the finals. The last time we recorded was after Game Four. You know, we asked at the time, is this the start of a comeback or is it just delaying the inevitable? Turns out it was the latter. Uh, game five, the Warriors win 129-120. They are NBA champions for the second time in three years. Uh, you know, it could have been 2-2 had the, had the Cavs not blown a late game lead in game three. So, you know, it could have been a series. Uh, but unfortunately, Kevin Durant is ice cold. Uh, so now we have to talk about what's next for Cleveland because, you know, they face a very interesting summer. We talked last week about, you know, the rumors that LeBron James could leave uh, for an L.A. team in 2018. So, Mort, if you're the Cavs, what do you do this summer? Do you bring back the band and basically hope, you know, an, a possession or two goes differently next year if you play the Warriors for the fourth straight year in the finals? Or do you think they need to make major changes to the roster? I do whatever I can to trade Kevin Love for a sign and traded Paul Millsap, mm. and that that is courtesy of Torquil Bang from B-Ball Breakdown who came up with that idea. Wrote it to me earlier. I lo- I love that idea because they need defense. They need someone who is still uh, able to score from the outside who can also play close to the rim. Millsap fits the bill. He even has uh, a, a greater ability of handling the basketball. So if they could somehow move Love out of the equation and get someone of that caliber of Millsap in there, that's what they should do. Because as of right now, what can they do? Right. Yeah. They, I mean, they are. it's worth noting they are <laughs> extremely capped out. So they're going to have, you know, if they run the band back together, they have the taxpayer mid-level exception. And then they basically are hoping to hit on some undrafted free agents. Uh or they could buy a second-round pick or two. But, yeah, I mean, it's not like, you know, they're not, they're not where the Warriors were last summer. They don't have the cap space to sign a Kevin Durant, for instance. So, <laughs> for that reason, it would be tricky for them to make major changes outside of trading Kyrie or Kevin Love. That, that Paul Millsap idea is interesting, though. That's you know, And I could see Atlanta wanting to do that, too, because you're getting younger. You're avoiding having to pay, you know, a 36-year-old Paul Millsap $45 million dollars. Huh, that's that's interesting, Sam. If uh, if you're Cleveland, would you do that Paul Millsap deal, or otherwise? Ha- same question I asked him. Mort. Would you bring back this same roster? Would you consider trading Kyrie or Kevin Love, or would you just make changes around you know the role players, the Tristan Thompsons, J.R. Smiths, that kind of thing? Well, I guess that my thing is the Paul Millsap idea isn't really a bad idea. I don't think. Um, but one thing that the Millsap idea would do is that it would give you less flexibility into the future in case LeBron leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a little bit scary to me. But having said that, uh, I like the idea of Paul Millsap on that team next year as much as I think everyone else would. The problem that I kind of am trying to wrap my head around all of this with is, like, so the Cavs were, like, what, a minute away from that series being 2-2, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, heading back to Golden State and the series being equally as good as what was, uh, you know, everyone's, like, wildest dream was going to be hoping for. I-, I think that if I was Cleveland, 
I would probably more than try and trade Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving. I would try and rebuild on the margins a little bit. I would consider trading Channing Frye uh, for a more athletic big man. I would consider trading, uh, you know, Amon Shumpert for more of a uh, potential two-way player. But all of that stuff is obviously easier said than done. If the right offer would come along for Kevin Love, I wouldn't mind trading him. But I also don't think Kevin Love is the problem here. Kevin Love uh, had a pretty good series, I thought, against Golden State. Uh, you know, averaged over a double-double was, uh, you know, very useful defensively by Kevin Love's standards. Like, his defense wasn't really the issue there, in my opinion. So, I get the blow-it-up concerns. I get that everyone wants to try and uh, make this thing competitive again, in a way. But, at the same time, I think it already was competitive. And I don't know that they need to make these sweeping changes to compete at the highest level with Golden State. Right, yeah, I'm with you in that, you know, again, it could have been 2-2 going back to Golden State, so you're at least going to Game 6 there. I mean, they, they did get blown out the first two games, but even Game 5 was pretty close. I mean, you know, the Warriors scored 129, but they never had more than, like, a 10 or 15-point lead at any point. Like, the Cavs were still within striking distance, so remove those first two blowouts, and it was a competitive series. Uh, you know, it's you can't bank on an injury necessarily, but like, remember at the end of February, mm-hmm. we thought Kevin Durant broke his leg and was out for the year. So if that had happened, that's a whole new series, possibly one that, you know, arguably one that Cleveland would have won if it was that close with Kevin Durant. You know, remove him from the equation, and you know, weird things happen is what I'm basically saying. So if I'm Cleveland. Given their constraints, I don't, you know, yeah, if they could find a taker for Kevin Love that, you know, they they can get, like, Paul George and he agrees to extend his contract or something like that, yeah, sure, what the hell, go for it. But I don't know that that deal is coming outside of, like, yeah, I mean, maybe you trade for Paul George and he doesn't extend his contract and you're gambling, you know, is Paul George going to love Cleveland enough to pass up L.A.? Sure, maybe, but otherwise I don't know that it's going to narrow the margin enough to make a difference. See, I will say that if they could do Kevin Love for Paul George, I would be interested in that because Paul George would help them beat Golden State, but he would also uh, set up a specific timeline for the rest of their roster, right? Mm. Uh, You know, he would set up an expiring contract next year. LeBron James obviously has his expiring contract next year. Uh, if those, if for whatever reason this thing craps out, they would be able to retool on the fly in more of a comprehensive manner, I think, around Kyrie Irving. Uh, you know, Kyrie, I don't think anyone really believes is going to be able to like get you to the playoffs by himself. Uh, we kind of have sample of that already. But so, like, if they could end up losing games for a year get some sort of star player in there, uh, at least like a star draft pick or something. Maybe you just trade Kyrie, too. I don't know if you lose both Paul George and LeBron James. But I do think that the idea of having everyone's contract kind of crapping out at the same time does appeal to me mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, that's a good point. And it would, I mean, it could arguably narrow the margin if only because Paul George can guard Kevin Durant and Kevin Love cannot. So you're saving LeBron at least a little bit defensively and giving him more of a breather. Not, you know, not that he necessarily needed it because he still averaged a triple-double in the finals. But, yeah, maybe that does narrow the margin. And as you said, Sam, it, you know, it, it does give Cleveland 
a definitive timeline. Like, if this thing goes to hell in 2018, at least we know, and we're not stuck with Kevin Love and Kyrie without LeBron, because that team is, you know, uh, sure, they'll be, like, the three seed in the East, but they have, without LeBron, they have no chance against the Warriors. So it's interesting. It'll be a very interesting summer for Cleveland, who also may have a new general manager, for all we know. So... Yeah, well, I'm sure we will talk a lot about them in the coming weeks. Can I can I go on a tangent about how bad that bad of an idea that is? Yeah, like please. the fact that the fact that the Cavs have not extended David Griffin is the dumbest thing happening in the NBA right now, <laughs> and that's saying a lot given like all of the bullshit smoke screens and reports that are out there about the draft and about free agency and about everything. Easily the dumbest thing in the NBA is that the Cavs have not extended David Griffin. Like, you talk to executives around the NBA, which luckily, like, I have gotten the privilege to be able to do that. They're like, yeah, David's, like, one of the five or six of us who we know is, like, competent at, like, everything (laughs) within, like, the industry. Like, you know, some people are better scouts. Some people are better at dealing with the media. Some people are dealing better at dealing with players. Some people know the cat minutia inside and out. David Griffin can do all of that. Like, he is an incredible... Uh, basketball mind and the fact that Cleveland is you know kind of I don't know if it's some David Griffin kind of seeing what's out there if it's some uh, you know Cleveland trying to drive his price down a little bit I don't know but it's really really dumb that he's not signed yet yeah it's absolutely given what they've what he's accomplished like every year at some point during the middle of the season he swings a trade where you're just like how did he turn nothing into something it's unreal you know like they they really don't have the ability to sign that many role players in free agency, but then he turns nothing into Kyle Korver or J.R. Smith or M.N. Shumpert or Channing Frye, all of whom have proven pretty instrumental over the last three years to getting them to three straight finals. So I'm with you. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Cleveland is doing there. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's the first big storyline to watch because his contract comes up June 30th, right? Like They might enter free agency without a GM. Yeah, no, I mean, negotiation is another thing that Dave Griffin is known around the NBA for being good at. So, yeah, like, it's, it's dysfunctional and weird in all of the, like, strangest ways to me. Yeah, hopefully we'll get some clarity there in the next week or so. Uh, let's turn our attention to Golden State briefly. You know, there's always, even after Game 2, there was talk of the Warriors being too dominant and ruining the NBA and how they're going to be champions for the next three years and how every other team should just blow up because they have no chance. So, Sarah, I want to throw this question to you because your Spurs, you know, are one of the few teams in the NBA currently poised to at least stand a chance against Golden State. Had Kawhi Leonard not re-injured his ankle in Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals, you know, the Spurs were up. 22 at that point it looked like that would be a competitive series and then Kawhi goes down and you know history <laughs> we know what happened after that but Sarah do you think it's is it time to just give up and every team should blow up like are they too dominant do you think you know they no team has a chance against them next year or do you think this is all overblown I don't think that you can overreact to what they're doing I think teams just need to look at their own path more than worry about what the Warriors are doing but Obviously, they're there, and you have to compete with them if you want to get to the top. Um, I don't think they're ruining the NBA. I think that's overblown. But um, I will admit to, at times, not being that interested this year, especially, you know, even in the finals, which it did turn out to be somewhat competitive. Um, I think I'm more 
kind of disappointed with the Kevin Durant thing than the Warriors. Like it's a separate thing to me. Mm. And I and I get the decision on all sides. Like I get them going after him. I get him deciding to play there. And yet, you know, it it just wasn't that interesting to me to watch it all unfold. Um but I, I think teams are getting closer. It's just like it's been mentioned that, you know, there again injuries were a problem. So I think Utah competed pretty well regardless. Mm-hmm. I mean, they went down double digits in most of the games, but at times they got close. I think they could have been closer. Say George Hill can play more, you know. It's just unfortunate that didn't happen. Same thing with Kawhi. Um, but you just have to stay your path and, and try to become the best team you can be and not worry that much about what they're doing. I think the NBA can change so fast. You know, we all are, are pretending like they're going to be – this dynasty that reigns for the next, you know, five, ten years, and it may happen that way, but it also could change pretty quickly. Somebody decides they want to go somewhere else, Clay or Iguodala. I think they they probably will tend to want to stay there because they can compete every year for a championship, but you just never know. The same injuries you've mentioned, you just don't know what will happen. So, no, I don't think they're they're ruining the NBA, but they're certainly dominant. There's no arguing that. Yeah. Definitely. And I mean, you mentioned George Hill and Kawhi, Yusuf Nurkic too, in the first round barely mm-hmm. played. So, you know, not that it, at least until the Western Conference Finals, it probably <laughs> wouldn't have made that much of a difference. Like, yeah. I still think the Warriors win in five or six rather than four, but, you know, at least they could have faced some semblance of resistance. It's like each team was missing one of its top three players through, you know, throughout the Western Conference playoff bracket. So that could have changed things. Uh, Mort, I want to ask you, if you if someone right now gives you even money, you pick either the Warriors or the Field to win the twenty eighteen championship. Which side do you go for? Well, I go Dubs as of right now, but as Sarah said, like the the NBA landscape can change so quickly. Like look look at her team, like the Spurs back in nineteen ninety seven. What what did they win? Twenty games. Two mm-hmm. years later, NBA champs. Right. I mean, things can just happen so goddamn quickly that. It's unsafe to take that bet at all, but as of right now, you know, that level of talent is just so insane, and they are peaking all at the right time, and they're in the right age group, and it's extremely difficult to overcome that. Even if you get a significant upgrade on another team, you still would have to develop some some sort of chemistry that the Warriors already have, so it mm-hmm. might take a year or two anyway. Mm-hmm. So at this point in time, dubs. Yeah, I mean, it's worth noting, you know, I, Chris Haynes and Ramona Shelburne of ESPN have already reported Kevin Durant's willing to take less than Max so they can have the bird rights on Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston. Uh, Tim Kawakami of the Mercury News, I think, reported today that Iggy has basically already agreed to a deal worth like 8 to $12 million per year. So from from the sound of things... You know, there are already fantasies of like, oh, well, the Warriors might not be able to afford everyone this summer. That's not a concern. They're bringing everyone back this year. You know, to both of you mentioned, it is going to be very difficult for them to keep all four of Steph, KD, Clay Thompson, and Draymond once uh, once Clay and Dre come up for new contracts, which isn't for another couple of years. But at that point, it may become prohibitive and... Clay may fulfill his destiny to be a future Sixer. We'll see about that. <laughs> um, Sam, am I crazy for thinking that, you know, if I pose that question to Mort, if I had to choose right now, I'm choosing the field over 
Golden State. Am I crazy for doing that? I would disagree. I, I mean, I don't think you're crazy. Like, I would... In, like, every single one of these bets, typically, I'm the person that says, like, take the field. Mm-hmm. Like, back in the day, like, when Tiger Woods was, like, at his peak and everyone was like, would you take Tiger at the field? And it was, like, a 50-50 proposition in terms of, like, what you should do. I was someone who was like, okay, I'll just always take the field and I feel like I will, you know, come ahead in terms of, like, expected value at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Warriors, I kind of don't feel that way. Uh, this is the most impressive team-building exercise that I have ever seen in professional sports. You have a 30-team league, and four of the top 20 players in the NBA uh, are all on the same team. That seems impossible to me. Uh, you know, maybe, like, maybe the Oilers, like the Edmonton Oilers, like back in the day, like in the 1970s and early 80s, like they kind of apply here as well. Like they had, you know, Yari Curry, Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, you know, all of these incredible players uh, all on the ice at once, but like, you know, 30 teams, it seems impossible to me that you could find this uh, crazy set of players that can all come together for a common purpose. And then you also have Andre Iguodala, you have everyone else that the Warriors have. And to me, I don't think we're ever going to see it again. Like, think mm-hmm. about all the lucky circumstances that had to lead to this Warriors team getting to where it is. So, yeah, to take Stephen Curry at number seven overall, which I think was a really great pick, and then Stephen Curry has to struggle through ankle injuries early in his career to drive down his value in terms of his cap hit. They have to hit on a ridiculous second-round pick in Draymond Green. They have to hit on a late lottery pick in Clay Thompson turning into a top-20 player. And then they have to hit a random cap spike at the exact <laughs> right. perfect time in the NBA's like ecosystem uh, to be able to afford Kevin Durant around uh, after already getting like Andre Iguodala and hitting money with Sean Livingston, who was, uh, you know, like how Kevin Durant talked about like how nobody wanted like uh, nobody wanted Draymond Green, nobody wanted Andre Iguodala. Uh, you know, we aren't all on our first team except for Steph. Yeah, well, like actually, nobody did want Sean Livingston. Like that's actually kind of a real thing. Um, so they hit money on Livingston too after he, uh, you know did an audition for Cleveland, basically. Uh, it's a it's a really, really ridiculously impressive set of team building that I struggle in today's parody-driven era of sports, in today's, uh, you know, continually, uh, continual trying to find a way to make the most money for the league as a whole versus just a singular team. I struggle to find how we're going to find uh, a team that was built this uh, incredibly again. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you you nailed pretty much everything that led to this team. Also, I mean, uh, along with the cap spike that, you know, $24 million in one year, the fact that they got Clay and Draymond before that cap spike happened on longer-term deals, like that now has locked this core in. You know, maybe we see a team like this. Maybe the team Banana Boat comes together for one year uh, in 2018, but, you know, it having this core together at least for the next two years, I agree. I don't think it's going to happen again just because you're not going to have a cap spike of $24 million unless it happens with, you know, the next CBA and maybe TV rights double again and we see what happens. Just, like, think about the math, though, behind hitting those draft picks. Yeah. Like, all three of those draft picks, right? So, like, Stephen Curry, this fucking small school kid from Davidson <laughs> who weighs, like, a buck seventy when he gets drafted – turning into one of the 20 best players of all time. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's like a 0.01% chance of happening. 
um, you know, Clay Thompson turning into a top 20 player as a late lottery pick. There's probably like a 5% chance of that happening. Draymond Green turning into an all-NBA team member in the second round. There is like a .01% chance of that happening. You're already down to like, (laughs) what, you know, .00001%. And then you get to the insane cap spike that happened with them getting Kevin Durant. It's just the craziest set of circumstances to get to an NBA champion that I can remember. And, uh, you know, I'm fascinated to see where it goes from here. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I do think that they're going to win the next two titles. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's certainly, I feel like they're at least going to go in as the favorites each of the next two years. You know, the Spurs have shown us how difficult it is to repeat as champions. But then again, the Miami Heat a couple years ago showed us that it is doable in this day and age. So... I will say, as a Georgetown fan, I could have told you Steph Curry was going to be good because I watched him single-handedly <laughs> murder my Hoyas in 2008, which was uh, ruined my Easter weekend that year. I'll say that much. Uh, <laughs> that's actually a great way for us to seg into the NBA draft, which is now we're recording this on Friday, June 16th, so it is less than a week away. We are finally near the finish line of the LeVar Ball every day on first take drama. Uh, Sam... I, since I'm a Sixers fan, I want to walk through the first couple picks with you, and then I'm going to let Mort and Sarah ask about prospects in their respective teams' range. Um, so let's talk Markel Fultz at first. It seems like he's you know pretty well established as the consensus number one pick at this point. There's some chatter that Boston is going to consider someone else, but in all likelihood, they're going to go with Markel at number one. So what makes him the clear-cut number one prospect in your eyes? He is, for my money, the most complete offensive guard to enter the NBA uh, since I've been doing this, at the very least. Mm, Um, Like, someone someone brought up, like, Kyrie Irving. We didn't really have enough sample on Kyrie, and I think that Fultz is a little bit better of an athlete uh, than Kyrie was. You know, you can bring up, like, Damian Lillard. You can bring up... John Wall. John Wall was a little bit before my time in terms of his draft, co- in terms of like draft coverage and everything. Um, but I don't remember John Wall being as complete in terms of being a prospect as Markel Fultz is. I remember him being uh, just this nuclear athlete who could get wherever he wanted on the floor with insane vision. So what I like about Markel Fultz is he can score at all three levels immediately. Uh, he can drive into the lane. He can go up and throw down a thunderous dunk and finish above the rim. Or he has the ridiculous, like, kind of Kyrie Irving-like body control. He's not as good of a finisher as Kyrie, but he has, like, that similar thing going on where he has the crazy body control where he can contort his body in a variety of ways. He can acrobatically, uh, you know, move his arms and hands, uh, you know, in symphony with each other in a way uh, to score uh, in just such a unique way around the basket. He has the in-between game. He can pull up at the foul line, uh, foul line extended. He has a floater game. Uh, you know, he can get guys like on his hip. He can get guys on his back. He understands exactly how to keep those guys there and kind of keep them away from the ball and shield the ball. Uh, and then going around the screen, he can pull up from three. I mean, there's no problem with him being able to do that. Uh, you know, he can catch and shoot. He was like a 1.15 or so point per possession shooter this year uh, off the catch. And that's really impressive. And it's really important whenever you're thinking he's probably going to play with Isaiah Thomas next year. Um, in terms of his passing ability, I think that's gone incredibly underrated. Uh, this Washington team in Pac-12 play this year shot like 28% from three if you take away Markel Fultz's three-point attempts. Markel shot like 40% from three uh, in Pac-12 games. 
They shot like 28% from three if you take his number out. And the fact that he was able to average nearly six assists per game with that lack of floor spacing, I think goes to show and prove how underrated of a passer he is. He was in the top 20 nationally this year in assist rate on a per-possession basis, despite playing for this team that was just a train wreck in terms of talent. They were one of the five youngest teams in all of college basketball this season. And, you know, he is just a really ridiculously good player on offense. Defensively, you know, I don't know what to think of him yet. Like, he's he has a chance to be just a total abject disaster defensively. Mm. Like, you know, James Harden-like level defender. defender. Uh, Harden has, at least in the modern NBA, been able to become switchable due to his like six foot five height, six foot ten wingspan, six foot nine ish wingspan. Um, and he can at least like go down on some bigger guys. He's not like a crazy liability, but he is a liability at the point of attack because he just doesn't really give a shit a lot of the time. <laughs> um, so I think that Fultz is going to have some similar questions there. There are times where he just genuinely doesn't give a shit, and that's going to be a problem. But he does show interesting instincts. He's really good at chase down blocks. He's really good at getting into passing lanes to create transition opportunities. Uh, he is, uh, you know, six foot four with a six foot ten wingspan. That always really helps in terms of switchability. There's at least hope for him defensively, but we just haven't seen any sort of effort there yet, and that's concerning. Um, intangibles. He's known as a really laid back kid. Sometimes doesn't really turn it on until later on in games. Does it takes him a while to get into games? Sometimes. Uh, the game gets away from him a little bit, and then he'll just start to like go do his own thing. That stuff, I think it's a worry, but I'm also not like crazy concerned about it. I value the skill over the you know worries about mentality and everything more with Fult. So to me, this guy's a complete prospect, man. Like he is unbelievable. He is going to be able to really, really. Uh, you know, potentially be an all NBA level offensive player defensively. There are worries, but like for me, the floor with that kind of complete offensive game, the floor is like top 20 offensive player in the NBA. Mm. Like, I don't know how he fails like at becoming a competent scorer and distributor for his teammates. So you're telling me there is no chance he falls to the Sixers at three. No. <laughs> Damn. No. Okay. Uh, like, if if he would, for whatever reason, and I do not think there is any chance this happens, if he, for whatever reason, gets past Boston at number one, Magic Johnson should run up to the yeah. podium. He should tackle. He should tackle Adam Silver. Rob Polinka should run up behind him and announce the selection by themselves. Like... That simple. Real, real easy, guys. Just take them. Yeah, and then LeVar Ball rushes the stage just to thwart them at the last possible second. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. uh, Before we go to the Lakers, can you give us a sense, how does Markel compare to the last couple years' uh, number one pick? So, like, Ben Simmons, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins. Is it, you know, I know it's hard to make comparisons because they're across different positions but is there a tier oh no i love this game okay yeah so (laughs) so put him in perspective to those guys so yeah i think that he is slightly better than ben simmons he is a little bit worse than carl towns i did this project last year when i still worked for cbs about 
uh, like over the one and done era were my top 20 prospects, regardless of draft, right? Mm. So like I had Greg Oden number one, I had Durant number two, which is hilarious that they were in the same draft because, you know, those two were just unbelievable studs. I had Derek Rose and Beasley pretty high. I had Wiggins pretty high and I had Towns pretty high. I think he's probably right around the same level as like, He's below Towns, probably at the same level as, like, Michael Beasley mm. or so, who I think w- realistically was, like, a top, like, seven or eight talent over the course of the last decade or so, just because if you remember that guy in college, I mean, mm. he, mm-hmm. he bettered Kevin Durant's numbers, yeah. uh, like, across the board. He was unbelievable. Um, so I would say, like, over the course of the last, what, 12 years since we've had the one and done, I would say Fultz is somewhere, like, in the top, like, seven prospects that we've seen like maybe eighth somewhere in that range um, in terms of, you know, to Andrew Wiggins, I think he's pretty similar of a prospect to Wiggins. I think he's pretty similar of a, well, he's a way better prospect than Anthony Bennett who went in 2013. <laughs> right. Um, he is, I'm trying to think who was 2012, was 2012 Kyrie. No, no, it's Davis. Davis. He's not Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, I think I actually... I did have Anthony Davis at number three on that list. Mm. Um, he's like probably a little bit better than Kyrie for me, too, okay. uh, in terms of prospects. So yeah. I hope that kind of gives people a sense of like just how special Markel Fultz is. I mean, a top 10 player, top 10 prospect over the course of the last 12 years is uh, nothing to sneeze at, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, okay, so let's... We have to have the inevitable Lamar ball talk here. If you're the Lakers at number two, are you taking Lonzo uh, no-brainer, or is it more of a question in your mind? It's definitely not a no-brainer to me. Like, I have Lonzo Ball at number four on my board. Mm. Uh, I have him... I think there are two tiers, right? Like, there is the Markel Fultz tier, where I think he is uh, just better than everyone else in this draft. And then I have a second tier that is like, you know... Josh Jackson, Jason Tatum, Lonzo Ball, Jonathan Isaac, Dennis Smith, Malik Monk, De'Aaron Fox, like all those guys. Um, Realistically, based on fit, and we'll get to this with the Sixers, (laughs) I think you can kind of make an argument for any of those guys. Do I think some are better than others? Sure. Like I have them, I have ranked the way that I rank them. Like I have Jason Tatum at number two. I have, uh, you know, Josh Jackson at three and Lonzo Ball at four. If I was the Lakers... I would probably take Jason Tatum. Uh, I am really high on Jason Tatum. I love the fit next to Brandon Ingram, who I think of as this incredible kind of do-all talent that can protect the weak side of the rim, who can distribute, who can handle, who can uh, you know use his length to disrupt things. I think that's the exact kind of player type that you want to fit next to Jason Tatum to at least get his level of success up. And I think Jason Tatum is the exact kind of guy you want to put next to Brandon Ingram so that you can lessen the load of scoring on Brandon Ingram's shoulders. So if I was them, that's what I would take. But, you know, it doesn't seem like they're even really considering Jason Tatum. So say what you will about me and my scouting abilities or say what you will about uh, what Los Angeles is doing. But given the guys that they seem to be seriously considering, Josh Jackson, Lonzo Ball and De'Aaron Fox. Uh, Those are all guys that they've had in now for multiple workouts. I would probably take Lonzo. Uh, I think there is a very realistic argument for Josh Jackson. They were the second worst defense in the NBA last year. Josh Jackson is a really, really good defender. He would pair 
incredibly well with Brandon Ingram in terms of the switching defense. But I really worry about the jump shot long-term with Josh Jackson. Uh, he is a nice rhythm shooter, but I don't think he's ever going to create like a sense of gravity around him. The defenders are always going to be more worried about him getting to the rim than about that jump shot, just given the mechanics. He, I, like, he could even get up to a consistent like 35%, and I think teams would still treat him kind of like how they treat Draymond Green, right? Like they're happy to let Draymond shoot instead of other guys beat them or instead of Josh beating them to the rim. Um, Lonzo, I like the fit next to D'Angelo Russell because Lonzo Ball, the thing that was kind of sneaky about UCLA this year is that their best lineups always came with multiple point guards, right? Their best lineups were always with he and Aaron Holiday on the floor. Um, I think that Lonzo, you're going to want to pair Lonzo with another really good point guard. And that's easy to do given the fact that he's now like six foot seven with like a six foot nine wingspan. Like you can very easily throw another lead guard on the floor next to him, or at least another guy who can get your team in and out of offense next to him. Where Lonzo will help you most is that Lonzo is a very capable uh, distributor, obviously, but he creates a culture of unselfishness within your team. Guys want to play with him because they know that they're going to get paid playing with him. Uh, You know, He's an incredible transition weapon. He doesn't pound the ball. He's always looking to lead man the ball. He's always looking for the best way to create efficient offense. And uh, that's going to mesh really, really well with D'Angelo Russell, I think. D'Angelo is that perfect secondary ball handler next to Lonzo Ball, who at the end of a shot clock, if they need to create, they can throw it in D'Angelo's hands, and he's going to be able to get into the lane. He's going to be able to create space for a jump shot. Lonzo, I worry about that. He's really only capable of creating space for a last-second shot you know, on that right to left, you know, step back crossover with that funky shot. Uh, going to the right, the shot concerns me as well uh, as it does with everyone else. He brings it up from the left side of his body. He kind of realigns himself in midair, and I think that's kind of difficult to do whenever you're dribbling to the right. Um, there are concerns defensively, too, with both of those guys. They can both get apathetic at the point of attack. But ultimately, in the end, I like the fit offensively with both Lonzo Ball and uh, D'Angelo Russell. I like all of the things that they do together. Uh, and I would just go for it. I mean, if Lonzo hits, he's going to be, uh, you know, a 10-time All-Star. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that, that's what the ceiling is with him. He's unbelievable. There's an incredible floor, too. Like, if he's just not athletic enough to consistently get into the teeth of the defense, which I think is a very real concern, Uh, You know, he's not an all-star level player. It's very difficult to do that now. And it's very difficult in the modern NBA to not be a high-level scorer and be a lead guard. Having said that, I really do believe in his talent. I really do believe uh, in his ability. I think that he's going to make a couple of all-star games. I think that he is, uh, you know, just one of those players that's going to help you win basketball games full stop. Yeah, I'm glad you addressed the fit with Russell and Lonzo because, you know, obviously Lonzo made some headlines after his first Lakers workout when he said, you know, the Lakers met with me, they think they need a real point guard, uh, which seemed like a shot at D'Angelo, but then you know, we've talked about this on episodes past where, you know, at the end of the year, the Lakers were basically playing D'Angelo a two guard, they were having Jordan Clarkson as their main point guard uh, which, you know, in today's NBA more and more teams are going without, like, a traditional point guard, like James Harden played point guard for the Rockets, you know it, it's not the the position quote unquote point guard doesn't mean you're going to be handling the ball all the time you don't have to be Chris Paul so that didn't strike any alarms for me at least uh, 
I, I do want to ask you, you know... You... Well, well, the, the things that strike alarms for me, there's no sort of, like, alarm about Lonzo saying it to me. Mm-hmm. The alarm is that the Lakers very clearly do not consider D'Angelo Russell, like, this untradeable uh, building block. Mm. And I think he absolutely is, like, given what we've seen so far. He is going to be, like, a 20-point, 7-assist guy in the NBA. Like, he is a really, really skilled level scorer, and he's a really good shooter who has shot, uh, you know, shot selection problems, and he is a really good passer who's creative, and I think putting him next to a guy like Lonzo is only going to help that. Yeah, see, I'm trying to drive down his value so the Sixers can at some point acquire him, ideally for the likes of Jaleel Okafor and something else, but <laughs> so far that has not worked. Yeah, like, if I was, like, the Sixers, I would have no problem trading that, like, 2018 pick and, like, Tim Luawu for D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. Like the 2018 Lakers pick and, like, another piece for D'Angelo Russell. He's really good. Yeah. Oh, in a heartbeat. Yeah. In a heartbeat. Uh, I'm still on D'Angelo Island, too, so I'm glad we've got company there. Uh, I do want to ask you, you know, in your conversation with NBA executives, have you heard anyone express hesitation about LeVar Ball? Do you think it's going to affect Lonzo's draft stock in any way? I mean, there's hesitation, to be sure, but, like, it's not going to affect his draft stock. They're not like, oh, yeah, we're not going to take Lonzo because his dad is LeVar and <laughs> LeVar does a lot of crazy wild shit. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're not going to stop themselves from taking Lonzo because LeVar exists. What is going to happen is, like, they're going to have to sit down and have conversation after conversation with LeVar, but ultimately the talent level is what matters. The talent level is what... Uh, teams are drafting for at the top of the draft. If they genuinely believe Lonzo is as good as even I think he is, let alone as good as like some executives that I've talked to who think he can like should be the number one overall pick. Mm. Like, you know, if they think he's that, if they think he's even what I think he is, you take him and you don't think twice, you know? Like it's not even uh, you know, it's not a worry in terms of his draft stock or his future NBA skills. Yeah. We had Derek Wagner on a couple weeks ago and he also talked me back into Lonzo disregard LeVar basically because he's you know he's especially if he doesn't go to the Lakers he's probably not going to be around that much because he's still got the two kids in LA so let's well the the funny thing is I talked to Mike Levin on my podcast Mm -hmm. uh on Friday and you know Mike was like yeah I just don't want to deal with this shit right like as a Philly fan (laughs) we've dealt with Julio Okafor we've dealt with Kendall Marshall's dad we've dealt with you know KJ McDaniel's mom we've dealt with all these crazy parents and I don't want to deal with it and I understand that point of view. Like, I get it. I think it's, uh, uh, I think it's totally rational. But uh, in terms of if you're an NBA executive, yeah, it's not going to matter. Yeah, that's my – I'm coming from it with a Philly perspective too. And it's like put LeVar with the Philly media, and that is just a shark's nest ready to attack for four years. So <laughs> that, that's my nightmare. But let's go to my Sixers now because I have had this overwhelming pit of dread in my stomach since – that number three card came out on lottery night. You know, I I knew Markel Fultz was the prize. I thought Lonzo Ball was going to go second. And now it seems like, as you mentioned, there's this tier of prospects, none of whom seem, you know, they all have their flaws. So at that point, it seems like it becomes a fit thing. Uh, you know, in theory, I, they want a shooter. So Malik Monk has been mocked there a lot. You know, I've seen Jason Tatum mocked there a lot. Josh Jackson mocked there a lot. What do you think the Sixers should do? Should they stand pat at three and just take the guy they like the most? Should they be considering, you know, is this, are they still in like best player available mode or should they 
now that they have Simmons and Embiid, should fit be more of a consideration? Should they go for a guy you know who isn't necessarily the best talent but is a better fit, or should they trade down? So to me, I, I'm you know definitely in the school of considering fit as much as like best player available within like tier levels, right? Um, the reason that I say that is is you know like for every team specific scheme and for every team specific roster, uh, you know future roster that you're building with and future talent that you're building with, not every player works as well as every other player in that scheme. So like while I have Jason Tatum number two on my board, I don't know that I like the fit of him like next to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And to be honest, like I'm not even sure I love the fit of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid together. But like, you know, if you're going to put another high usage forward in that mix, I don't really like that idea. Uh, I know that they want to play Ben Simmons at point guard and in transition and in like half break opportunities. I think that's a really good idea, but I think you're still going to want another like, realistic point guard there who can get your team in and out of half court sets and everything. Cause I don't really think that's Ben, uh, Ben in college was at his best in the half court, kind of grabbing the ball on the block, grabbing the ball in the mid post, grabbing the ball in the high post and kind of like, you know, diamond guys out all across the court or scoring for himself. So in that vein, what I think the Sixers need most right now is a scoring guard. I think they need a shooter. I think they need uh, a floor spacer who can average 20 points a game. That's Malik Monk to me, man. Uh, Malik Monk is six foot three, uh, six foot four wingspan, can really shoot the rock from deep. I mean, he was, uh, you know, streaky, known as streaky coming into college, but that streak has gone away. Uh, he is a very real three point shooter. Now he can knock down shots off the dribble. He can knock them down off the catch, knock them down coming off screens, off pin downs, off baseline from the corner. Uh, everything that you're looking for in terms of jump shooting, he can bring it. And he's a really good athlete who's going to be a nice, uh, you know, fit in transition with Ben Simmons, leading the ball and leading the break up the floor. There's hope that eventually he can develop his handle game to where he can handle some point guard, but I don't think that's going to necessarily happen, uh, you know, especially immediately early on in his career. Ultimately, what I really like, though, about that versus Josh Jackson is the floor spacing aspect and the effect that it will have on the rest of the 76ers. You put Josh Jackson there, I think it's going to clog the paint. Not only for Joel Embiid, who obviously is going to want to handle the ball on the block as much as possible, but you know, you're going to have Ben Simmons, who's also a non-shooter right now, whose defender is going to sag off of him constantly, and who is just going to create all of these uh, you know, kind of just clustered areas in the paint, and that's a significant problem for attacking guards and for attacking bigs like Ben Simmons. Um, what Malik Monk's going to do is he's going to give Joel Embiid space. He's going to give uh, Ben Simmons a little bit more space to operate. Defenders are going to be forced to make decisions and get into rotation uh, in very difficult ways if you would draft a shooter like that. Um, so I would go with Malik Monk if I was them. I understand that you know for some that might be a reach. But again, this is an incredibly talented kid that I think really fits within what Philadelphia wants to do. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, Brad Bodner two weeks ago talked me into Jonathan Isaac at three. Uh, you know, I've I've been on the Monk train as well. I the Josh Jackson thing does worry me as well, especially because you know the dream is that you extend Robert Covington in November once he becomes eligible, and he's you know kind of the 
he, he's very streaky, obviously, but he's a great defender. Uh, and I don't know how he and Josh Jackson, if they complement each other at all. Um, so I guess... Josh- well, you know, it's funny that you bring up Robert Covington and bring up the fact that Bodner sold you on Jonathan Isaac because I just uh, got a text message from someone today, like, you know, who would you compare Jonathan Isaac to? And I was like, Robert Covington with, you know, a little bit more offensive upside, obviously. Ooh. They're both just outrageously good defenders uh, who, you know, Robert Covington does it with his hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's just really disruptive uh, with his hands. Isaac does it with his feet being six foot eleven and everything. Isaac will be a little bit more versatile as a weak side rim protector. He's a little bit bigger at six foot ten, six foot eleven. He can attack closeouts in a far superior manner to what Covington can. But like at the same time, you have a guy with a streaky jump shot who is going to be a very switchable, very disruptive defender. To me, that's Robert Covington, who I think right now is like a bottom end of the top one hundred player in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love Covington and. Bort and Sarah have both tried to steal him from me already, uh, which will make me very upset if the Sixers let him go after next year. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> after the more I hear about this number three pick, the more I feel like there's just no right answer almost. So, as listeners know, my dream is still the Kings fall in love with someone at three, trade five and ten for number three, and Philly could throw on a couple seconds if they want to. Uh, and then, you know, take two cracks at the top ten. Because, you know, I'm with you. I just don't see enough of a difference between three and five where, you know, if if Josh Jackson and Jason Tatum are the consensus best prospects not named Markel Fultz and Lonzo Ball, move down two slots, that's great. Because neither of those guys seem to fit all that well. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, I think that the Kings... Uh, considering moving up to get their person, you know, is very real. Uh, you know, you talk to people around the league, and there is a sense that they would not mind moving up. Mm. Five and ten for number three, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Like, let, let's just, like, kind of call it out for what it is. But, right. yeah. But, like, if there, there was a realistic, like, trade offer uh, that the Kings saw and thought that they could move up and secure their – player, which a lot of people believe uh, is a guard of some sort. They want a guard to not only uh, you know, fill a positional need because they have no point guards currently under, <laughs> under roster that are signed, right. but also to help foster the development of all the bigs that they've taken over the course of the last three years and help to foster the development of Buddy Heald as well. Um, I, I, I can see that. Like I can see them trying to move up, but it's not going to be a situation where they move five and ten for three. They're going to move like five and something for number three. Mm-hmm. If they want a lightly used Jaleel Okafor, they can happily have him with number three. That's fine. <laughs> um, before I throw things over to Mort, I want to ask you, of those tier two guys that you have, uh, you know, the guys in the top ten range, do any of them stand out as surefire, cannot miss all-stars to you? No, I think that they're all flawed in their own ways. Um, you know, if you made me guess which one I am most confident in becoming an all-star, I would probably say Jason Tatum, given the fact that he's number two on my board and the fact that, you know, being able to create your own shot and getting separation and scoring easily is a transferable skill along all levels of basketball. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, I am certain he's going to be an all-star. Like, I think that all of these guys are flawed in their own ways. Like, Dennis Smith, does he actually affect winning basketball in a positive manner? Malik Monk, is he going to be able to get to the rim at all? Uh, you know, 
Jonathan Isaac, is he going to have enough offense? Uh, you know, Lonzo Ball, is he athletic enough? Josh Jackson, can he shoot? Jason Tatum, is he going to be efficient enough as a scorer? And is he going to provide enough defensive impact? Like, there, there are concerns about all of them. Uh, I don't think there's a surefire all-star in the bunch. But I, I do think that, uh, you know, there are a lot of really, really good high-level starters in that bunch for sure. Okay. Well, thank you for making me feel no better about this draft class and still <laughs> still feel conflicted for the next week. Uh, more, I would, hey, man, I'm trying to predict it. I, I feel conflicted. I know, I know. Hopefully, at least Sweet Relief is a week away. Uh, Mort, I'm going to throw things over to you now since your former team, the Chicago Bulls, will be on the clock <laughs> right after the lottery. So ask away about those that next tier of prospects. Well, yeah, I'm going to focus on the next tier of prospects instead. And one of those guys who I'm absolutely in love with is Donovan Mitchell, who's right now slated at number 12 on Draft Express. I feel as though he should be in that tier alongside Lonzo Ball, De'Aaron Fox, and all that. He's a tremendous athlete, a great defensive upside, a development uh, scorer. So what am I not seeing there? What is the, the big knock on him that is kind of keeping him out of that group? Well, he doesn't really have a whole lot of positional size. Uh, you know, he's six foot one and a half without shoes on and is best suited to play the two right now. You know, he's not a point guard. He is a guy that is in every way a like shooting guard or like an off ball, like defender, kind of Patrick Beverly guy that you, you know, maybe play at the quote unquote point guard like the Rockets play Beverly at. But you're going to need a lead ball handler next to Donovan Mitchell, I think, especially given what we know about him now. He was a better shooter this year. He hit 35.4% of his three-point attempts, which I think is, you know, obviously very, very good. Having said that, you know, this is a guy that was actually a really bad jump shooter throughout the course of his prep career and throughout the course of his season at Louisville, uh, early, uh, his first season at Louisville as a freshman. He certainly has worked to improve. And the thing that I love most about Donovan Mitchell is having, like, talked to him before and got to know him a little bit, if only for like a 20-minute, 30-minute increment before. Like, this kid is just the best, like, dude that you will meet. Incredibly hard worker. He's going to get the most out of his talent. But he's definitely more of a, uh, you know, two-foot leaper as opposed to a one-foot leaper. He struggles to finish around the rim a little bit. Uh, To me, he profiles more as a role player than an all-star, and that's totally okay. I think he's probably going to turn himself into a starting level basketball player in the NBA, but I don't know that I see the same upside with him that I see with a guy like a Dennis Smith or a De'Aaron Fox. All right. That's, that's interesting because usually I saw him this, you have so many ball dominant guards in the NBA right now. So naturally I assume that he could just walk into uh, a starting lineup in in the lieu of what you said like play off the ball a lot will play like a pseudo point guard system but mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to follow him his athletic ability completely won me over as well as his wingspan uh, and, and that's actually another question i have in regards to wingspan and and traditional height like how much does that matter in terms of traditional height compared to the you know ridiculously long wingspans like how much does factor in 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 draft decisions I'm sorry. I believe that, uh, you know, a lot of it depends on the position that you play, right? So, like, Donovan Mitchell, who's going to be guarding penetration a lot more. He's going to be trying to cut players off and using his length, like using his long arms in a horizontal manner. Uh, You know, wingspan matters 
as much as height, I would say. Uh, I don't think that one necessarily matters over the other because you still want guys who are tall so that when you go up to contest a shot, you can at least become something of a deterrent on the perimeter as well, right? Um, in terms of big guys, though, big guys, you look. You want to look at the standing reach number. You want to look at you know the wingspan essentially combined with the height, right? You know, some guys have a shorter neck, some guys have a longer neck, and you know there can be some sort of you know almost like a fake height number. Uh, you know, Dwight Howard's a really good example of this. Like Dwight Howard at the NBA Draft Combine was measured at like six foot nine or so, but because he has that really short neck, he has that like you know, body that looks kind of, like, ridiculous in a way almost. Like, he's just so jacked that his body, like, you know, looks very odd. Like, he has the broadest shoulders mm-hmm. in the world. That, like, his height actually undersells him. Him being, like, six foot nine, six foot ten, actually undersells him, especially whenever you combine it with his length. Um, so around the rim, I look at guys that have these really big standing reach numbers. I want someone like a, uh, you know, trying to think of someone that's actually good I only have like really bad players like floating through my head. Um, you know, you want someone like a DeAndre Jordan who has like a nine five standing reach, a Rudy Gobert who has like a nine seven and a half standing reach. You want those kind of deterrents, not necessarily uh, worried about height and wingspan as much. Then my next guy, he's going to f- check all those boxes. That's Jared Allen from Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, having looked at him i can't really figure out like what his niche is going to be in the nba whether it's going to be like a defensive minded player or uh, a two-way a two-way guy or if he's going to be more an offensive minded he's he had like 13 points a game but played i think 32 minutes a ball game which isn't necessarily a high production offensively speaking he seems to me to be sort of a tyson chandler type of guy where you high pick and rolls, dives to the basket, catches lobs, and finishes around the basket. So is there still room for that type of player in the NBA in that manner? And is that why he's slotted like right outside the lottery? Or does his defensive potential, could that carry him into the mid of the lottery potentially? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head right there, right? Like he's kind of a pick and roll, uh, you know, fluid, uh, mobile diver to the rim. Uh, with really, really good hands, too. You know, that's something that, uh, you know, early on while I was doing this, like, draft analysis thing, um, that's something that I underrated. It's something that the, the person that I missed that most on was Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert, like, you know, above the rim, whenever he went up for a rebound, he kind of just, like, grabbed and engulfed everything. Uh, he still occasionally can muff, like, the close-in pass next to him or something, uh, just in terms of hand-eye coordination. But he has really soft hands and kind of grabs everything off the rim. Jared Allen has that same kind of thing where he has really soft hands and can catch just about everything that kind of comes his direction. That matters whenever you're talking about a guy going up for these lobs and rolling to the rim and diving to the rim. Um, Where Jared comes into trouble is that he's not necessarily the fieriest player, right? Like he's not necessarily this guy that plays with immense energy. He certainly like, this kind of stuff I think is bullshit and I hate when people do it, but like NBA executives uh, that I've talked to him personally are like, you know, he's a guy that has a lot of interests on the floor or off the floor. I'm sorry. You know, how much is he going to really improve at basketball Uh, given his, you know, measurements and given his athleticism, the sky is the limit for a kid like that. But, you know, who knows in terms of, uh, how hard is he going to work in the offseason? I think that's a pretty significant question for him. 
But having said that, uh, defensively is where all of these factors in terms of fieriness and in terms of the intangibles come into play. If you're going to be a player like a Tyson Chandler, you need to play with immense passion defensively. You need to be someone who can uh, you know, defend ball screens and do quite a bit of uh, different stuff in that way. So uh, the, the school is out on Jared Allen, or the, their opinions are out on Jared Allen in terms of uh, is he going to be able to do that in the NBA. Uh, we'll see. He, he's a very intriguing prospect. He's a project, to be sure. But he's a project that also averaged 16 and 10 this season in Big 12 play and really got better as the season went on. And I think that that's worth mentioning as well. He's a, uh, he's a freshman that got better as the year uh, continued to matriculate. My final question before I pass it on to Sarah is about uh, Bam Adebayo. So after the season concluded, he's been working out a lot. There has been a lot of videos coming out of uh, on the web regarding his shooting rage. And he seems to have mentioned that he played so closely to the basket, uh, which kind of limited what he was able to show during the course of the season. How much mm-hmm. stock does GMs and scouts put into that sort of thing after the season is done? And could that effectively uh, r- make him rise in the draft? So, yeah, the workout process is a really flawed one, right? Uh, This is where you need to have a larger base of knowledge than just, like, the college basketball season that happened, right? So, like, I've been going out and watching a lot of these kids, like, from the time that they were, like, 16 years old. Bam Adebayo played on the same travel AAU team as Dennis Smith, and they used to run screen and roll, screen and pop pretty regularly. And in AAU hoops... Bam had a pretty decent 15-footer. Like, this three-point shooting stuff, like the fact that he's stepping it out that far, I don't really believe in that yet necessarily. Uh, But I do think that having seen him in AAU, there is something to the point that uh, he can develop that, like, pick-and-pop, like, 16, 18-foot jumper and become an effective player there. His biggest problem is, is that, like, he's six foot ten with a seven foot three wingspan, but he has small hands and really doesn't rebound the ball well. If you're going to be that kind of player that's going to provide energy, that's going to uh, defend the perimeter well and hopefully block shots, you also need to bring the rebounding aspect of the game. And he didn't do it this year at Kentucky, despite being that significant interior presence that he talks about as far as his skill being underrated in terms of jump shooting. That's very interesting. Thank you, Sarah. Alright, well, so as the guys have probably filled you in, draft is really nowhere near my area of expertise or even limited knowledge, <laughs> but uh, um, being a Spurs fan, I'm looking at later in the first round, if not into the second round. Um, they're at 29 this year. Realistically, what they're going to have to replace or what they will have deficiencies in will be, uh, obviously they've had issues with playmaking. That's sooner than later they're going to have to... Uh, yeah replace that. Uh, I don't know that they'll take a point guard because they did that last year. They have DeJounte. They just need some seasoning. If they need a point guard, they're probably going to bring in somebody who's already got seasoning uh, mm-hmm. to be more of that role. But So I'm looking more for bigs. Um, I think you know Deadman's probably gone. We're going to live with that assumption. Uh, so to replace what he did, sort of a rim runner, shot blocker, a little bit of rim protector, uh, Mort sent me some names. I'm glad you sent me Jordan Bell, Morton, because I kind of already had him on my, my limited radar because uh, I think he could do some similar things. And then we also had, I don't want to butcher this young man's name, either Matthias or Matthias Lasort. 
mm-hmm. who is French, so he's probably got one foot in the Spurs locker room already. <laughs> <laughs> he's from, uh, he's from uh, Martinique. I've talked to him before. He's a really nice kid. He's got great feet. That's what I like best about him, uh, how well he moves his feet. Uh, he does, yeah. So, so I would ask about those guys or who you think would be a good fit uh, there for the Spurs. Yeah, I think there are quite a few guys. So with the Spurs, I'm looking for athleticism at the big right. position. Like I want uh, not just like a big that is a rim runner and that can protect the rim like Dwayne was. I think Dwayne probably gets underrated for his athleticism a little bit. Like he's not just like this big stiff inside. Um, I, I want more athleticism. I want guys that can leap, and I love Jordan Bell to the Spurs. I absolutely love him if he's there. Um, that's the kind of guy that would fit right in if they keep Pau Gasol next year. Whoever they have next to him, he would just be a force that they could unleash defensively. For my money, he was the best defensive player in college basketball this season. He does some weird shit from time to time like <laughs> where – like he'll go way out of position. Like he'll get overly aggressive and kind of mm. loses loses mark and everything. But like at the same time, he has this weird timing thing where, despite only having like an eight foot eight standing reach, uh, I don't know if you guys know who Kostya Mushidi is. He's a uh, you know a German kid that pulled out of the draft this year. That's six foot five. Uh, you know, very much like a comboy guard, like a two three guard even. Um, he has the same standing reach as Jordan Bell. I think that kind of shows like how short Jordan Bell's standing reach is. Um, but he has this incredible knack for timing the basketball, going up for block, blocking shots. He's a great vertical leap. Uh, I talked to him about it at the Final Four, and he said that like uh, he learned how to time jump shot or time blocking shots and time contesting shots by playing Guitar Hero because he like had to learn like what was happening on the screen. And then, like, click down at the same time and click the buttons at the top of the guitar at the same time. And it really helped his, like, perception, kind of, right? Like, in terms of uh, fluidity and coordination in terms of reading what's happening on the floor. Um, I I love that fit. I like Lasore a decent amount as well. Uh, Definitely has spurs written all over him. I agree with that. (laughs) Uh, They've had – they've taken quite a few French people over the course of their their scouting travails as well. Tony Parker – they also took uh, Livio Jean-Charles from Tony mm-hmm. Parker's a, uh, French team that he part owns. Uh, so maybe they won't. Maybe, maybe they just have that one pipeline of Asvel. <laughs> right. um, but Bam Adebayo, if he was there at number 29, as we talked about, uh, he's really interesting to me. You know, E.K. on a Bogu, if he would fall for whatever reason, is interesting. Uh, DJ Wilson is interesting to me. He's like uh, very much a project. But at six foot eleven with a seven foot three wingspan, uh, in the ability to shoot a little bit, step out and shoot, that's an intriguing package of skills for me for the Spurs to build upon and kind of help him in terms of leading the game and understanding what's happening. Ivan Rab is interesting to me in a way, but he doesn't really have the kind of athleticism I'm looking for for the Spurs. Uh, that's really it, you know. Those bigs, they. Uh, there are a billion of them there, but like some of them aren't like super hyper athletic. The other name that I will mention though that kind of falls into that like not super elite athlete class is Andrzej Pasechnik. He is a Latvian, you know, seven right. foot one, seven foot two guy, uh, kind of like a fake shooter almost. Like a lot of people just kind of assume he's going to be able to shoot in the NBA, but he took like eighteen threes in like a thousand minutes played this year. So I don't know that I buy the shooting coming along and. I think people get excited about him being mobile and being like a rim runner and stuff. 
he's mobile for being seven one, but I don't know if he's like super mobile. Actually, like in the modern NBA sense of the word, um, he's someone though that like you know obviously the Spurs also have Nikola Milutinov over there. Uh, you know they have a lot of guys that are you know seven one, seven foot, longer arms that they've taken shots on in the past, and then just see how they develop. Pasechnik, I think, is certainly another uh, potential option there, especially in another factor here that has to be considered with the Spurs is that I would imagine that, uh, you know, given the fact that they're looking toward free agency and looking toward trying to sign someone and having to finagle the cap space for someone like a Chris Paul or something like that, they might be really interested in trying to stash someone in agreeing immediately to a stash so that the cap it goes right off of their books as soon as possible um, because the cap for people like who aren't like super ingrained in the minutia of the CBA, like uh, you know, you have to, you have to have a cap hold on your roster for your first draft pick for as long as they tell you like they're not coming over because you have to obviously offer 80% of the rookie scale to your first round pick immediately uh, upon selecting them. So uh, Pesechnik, I think, would fit. Lasor, I think, would fit in that way as well. There are a couple of other internationals that, like, it wouldn't be crazy if they took. This is a really weak international class. So, uh, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if the Spurs looked there, if only for further cap flexibility to try and build this thing out as quickly as they can, given the fact that Greg Popovich is getting up there in age and that this era continue, continues to kind of roll along. Right. So, so they might just stash immediately. That makes sense. Um, other than that, shoot, I'm sure it's hard to predict, but um, yeah. <laughs> like, like like second rounders, uh, do you see like if there was one guy you had to pick who might fall, but, but probably shouldn't, like you know, uh, your Draymonds, your Ginobili's, your Isaiah Thomases, who who do you think might be that guy this year? So the two guys that I really like that I have, or the three guys that I like that I have ranked as like you know top twenty talents in this class that you know are currently projected by you know some people, myself included, as late firsts, you know, early second round picks. I have Jawan Evans out of Oklahoma State, the number one offense in the country this year at Oklahoma State, despite not having any other NBA talent on that roster. I uh, I have him at number fourteen on my board right now. I think he's a stud. I love the fact that he's competitive. I love the fact that he gives a shit. Like everything about that dude, like I love. And uh, he is, you know, projected right in that like 25 to 45 range by most NBA teams. Uh, you know, if he fell to the second round, I think he's going to be a really good player. Uh, Shemi Ojale is another guy, six foot seven, six foot ten wingspan, might be the most jacked player to ever enter the NBA as like a very <laughs> legitimate prospect. Like his arms are the size of my head, and I have like a really big head. So like, uh, really just an impressive dude. Can slide his feet really good. Uh, switchability in the pick and roll, really able to be left on an island with all but the, like the most elite in terms of quickness guards. He was also one of the better jump shooters statistically uh, in this uh, high school, or I'm sorry, college class this year. And then finally, I look at Derek White. I have Derek White as a top 20 prospect as well. Six foot five, six foot seven wingspan, can jump vertically, okay lateral lateral athlete. Was all Pac-12 defense this year, but. A little bit questionable on how that's going to translate. He's not necessarily this like physical freak like Malcolm Brogdon was last year, where everyone talks about like, oh, Malcolm Brogdon like isn't all that uh, athletic and stuff. Malcolm Brogdon's also like six six with a six eleven wingspan, uh, like 
230 pounds and has like the biggest hands that you will ever shake hands with like a normal, a relatively normal sized human being with. Uh, Derek White doesn't have those kind of like physical attributes, but he's a, probably a little bit more skilled than Malcolm, honestly. Like he is uh, kind of able to get his own shot in the half court. He can knock down shots, 40% three point shooter. Uh, really, really good passer in college. Was able to take the point guard position at six foot five, six foot six for uh, Colorado this season. Uh, just a really interesting, like, kind of combo guard to me that is exactly the way the NBA is going. And uh, you know, he's kind of a guy that I've heard is moving up draft boards from teams. They really like him, but you know, we'll see. Sometimes guys say that they really like guys. Sometimes, uh, you know, it's hard to tell what's real and what's not this time of year. Uh, I'm a really big fan of Derek White, though. I think he's an absolute stud. Well, Sam, I'm glad you addressed the second rounders, especially because the Sixers have four second round picks. Not, <laughs> not that they will use all of them, but I, I can go deep on second round picks. Yeah. Do you? How do you like my boy LJ Peak? I do like LJ Peak a little bit. Uh, I've gotten gotten to talk to him a little bit this off season too. He's like oh, he's a super nice guy. Um, you know, 16 points a game this year. Uh, can shoot. A little bit, uh, you know, not like a great knockdown shooter, but he brings tenacity defensively. I like that six foot five with a six foot nine wingspan has positional size, has positional strength as well. Uh, I'm looking forward to him maybe, you know, bringing back the braids from when he was at like uh, when he was uh, back in Gaffney, South Carolina. I would love that. Uh, he had to cut them off whenever he went to play with your boy, Jaleel Okafor uh, at Whitney Young in Chicago. But uh, no, I really do like LJP because like a sneaky second round guy. I think that he can make it in the NBA as long as the jump shot comes along. Yeah, he was basically the only player on Georgetown this year that could competently play basketball. So I have a soft spot for him. Hey, 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 Rodney Pryor, my man. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I stopped watching Georgetown in December because it got too depressing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of people were in on Jesse Govon coming into the year. And that was a that was a weird phenomenon to me. Yeah, that was that was a fun month. Before uh, everything <laughs> went to hell, it's okay. Uh, Mort, do you have any other questions for Sam about late second rounders, top ten guys? Yeah, anything? one. Okay, one. Cameron Oliver. Mm. That's that's a guy yeah. that I've been having my eyes on. Like a great shop locker, had uh, you know some very solid measurements at the draft. Also tested well athletically. Yep. Shot thirty eight percent from downtown. You yep. know, is decent rebounder as well. Like. Is that just because he's from coming from Nevada, or is it because he's just not on the scene as much? What is the reason for his uh, projected 50th slot? Well, he, he blew up a little bit uh, last summer at Adidas Nations out here in Los Angeles. Uh, people really got to know him a little bit more than they had known him in the past. Uh, like you said, good shooter. Uh, I don't think he's like an awesome shooter. He probably won't be right. an awesome shooter from the NBA three-point range immediately. That's going to be his swing skill, right? Like he needs to be able to consistently knock that shot down at thirty-eight percent at six foot eight. Um, you know, he's going to be like kind of in between positions defensively to me in a way. And he wasn't like this awesome defender, despite the shot blocking totals at Nevada this year. Uh, he he would get lost quite a bit mm. uh, positionally. I thought. Um, in terms of like the offensive skill set, he can attack closeouts a little bit. There's just like. He needs to take, like, that next leap, you know, like in kind of yeah. every single part of his game. But like you said, you know, uh, right around like a seven-foot wingspan, if I remember correctly, six-foot-eight, 
you know, 230 pounds or so. Has the physical frame that teams are looking for from these stretch four guys. Uh, decent passer as well. Just needs to, you know, he played with a little bit of selfishness this year, I thought, at Nevada. Oh. You know, he would, uh, would kind of chuck a little bit from time to time. And the physical skills are there totally. Uh, he just needs to take that next step in terms of mentality and in terms of just, like, rounding out the rest of his skill set. But I absolutely believe, like, late in the second round, kind of like you mentioned, or, you know, even, like, in the middle, like, at number 40 or something like that, I think he's a pretty good pick. Yeah. Yeah, he, he looks like he could be a rotational guy almost right off the bat, and if he irons out his kinks and refines his game a little bit, uh, I, I didn't get a chance to watch him as much as you did, obviously, but so I didn't really uh, notice the, the defense woes, which is nice to, to get elaborated on. Uh, but but he's a guy I've been falling back on a lot in the second round looking at because it seemed like he really didn't have a whole lot for him that didn't go in his direction in terms of measurements and production and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, kind of curious about his uh, projection moving forward. Yeah, kind of a sneaky guy. I I like that a lot. Uh, Nevada Nevada was one of my, like, under-the-radar teams that I loved to watch this year. Uh, They were really good, obviously. They made the NCAA tournament. Um, They have another guy, Jordan Caroline. I don't know if you guys remember Simeon Rice, the Mm -hmm. NFL player who played for, like, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and stuff. It's his son. Played with Ben Simmons at Montford Academy. Uh, You know, was a... Really, really good player this year at uh, Nevada. Probably, if he didn't win, no, he didn't win because Marcus Marshall won the uh, Mountain West Player of the Year award this year. He should have won it, to be honest. If Caroline becomes a shooter, he's like six foot eight, six foot nine, two hundred forty pounds, physical freak, kind of like Jordan or uh, Cameron Oliver is. Sneaky NBA player again in Nevada next year. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, Sam, do you have any uh, final? draft takes either about the class as a whole or any prospects i'm ready for it to get here man i gotta tell you that like i there are only so many different words i can say about malik monk at this stage uh i think i've if you would made me guess like how often i've talked about like all these top prospects i've gotten my ten thousand hours in in terms of expertise uh as malcolm gladwell would say we'll say that For sure. Well, we appreciate you coming on and getting a couple more of those 10,000 hours in with us. Uh, Just remind our listeners again where they can find your work on Twitter and then on the interwebs in general. Sure. So if you follow me on Twitter at Sam underscore Vicini, I would really appreciate it. Uh, You'll find all my work there that I post, uh, you know, sporting news, uh, Vice as well. I wrote a cool thing on two-way contracts on Thursday. Uh, about like how they're going to affect the draft and how they're going to affect the offseason a little bit. Um, Seth's Draft House, uh, where I have my mock draft, and I'll write a couple other things. We're going to try and write something uh, after this podcast as well on kind of the big man thing that this draft has going on, where like, you know, 15 different big men from really like 12 on down to 35 could have first round grades from NBA teams. And there's just clearly not enough space for all those bigs in the NBA right now. So what do we do? Um, you know, a couple other places I'm trying to think. Game Theory Podcast, go subscribe to that. I would really appreciate that. Um, i trying to think. That that seems like it has to be it. Like the, <laughs> I've said, like, every place on the goddamn internet. Right. Stage, so, like, that has to be it. <laughs> yeah, well, go check Sam out everywhere. He's a great... NBA draft follow especially, but also a very knowledgeable basketball mind. And I didn't even know. I've been offline all week because I moved to Nashville, so I uh, 
didn't know you wrote about those two-way contracts, but I'm going to check that out after we finish recording because I am very interested to see how that affects the draft and the offseason as a whole. Uh, in the meantime, I just wanted to thank you all for listening to the NBA Podcast. Remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find all three of our Twitter handles as well, so give us a follow there. Well, Brian, yeah. I'm sorry I'm going to interrupt you because right now we seem to have not necessarily breaking news, but uh, we have a Bosch bomb, and it seems like, and you're going to scream your head off right now out of joy. What? The Sixers seem to be making a deal with Boston for the first overall pick. What? Yes. What? Uh, it, they are waiting for medical information on Markel Foles, but deep into talks on acquiring Boston's number one overall pick. Um, Wait, Mark Stein and Zach, also Zach reported it. <gasps> yeah. Oh. Oh. So this uh, this just changed the the entire draft. <laughs> oh my god! I have a Celtics fan staying with me this weekend, so I need to go <laughs> troll the hell out of her. Wow! So Z- yep. Zach Lowe is reporting in current parameters, Boston would receive several picks and no players. Have to think number three would be involved, obviously. So this, I mean, yes. the Sixers do have unprotected. First from the Lakers in 2018, unprotected. First from the Kings in 2019. Uh, uh, all right. I, I will say, for me, this has to be like, they have to be getting multiple firsts yeah. to do this. Wow. Uh, if they aren't, I'm not going to be a fan of this trade. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, this, this, is, this is a franchise caliber player that you are, I mean, you would be acquiring. Oh. And, and a perfect fit, let's be honest, like for uh, for Philly. So that's Brian. that is uh, extremely interesting. Uh, I'm well, not gonna believe it until it's real, guys. This is agreed. I mean, but that's at least an interesting way to end our our episode. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully next time we record, the Sixers will have the number one pick, and I will probably be in jail for going streaking in Nashville. Although it might be allowed. I honestly don't know. I'm finding out new laws every day down here. Um, all right, Sam. Uh, yeah, wow. Um, okay. So, I, <laughs> sorry guys, this is just, I did not believe that, I mean, Sam Hinkie's not even in charge anymore. If this happens, this proves that Sam Hinkie has actually, like, Westworlded Brian Colangelo, and he's just controlling him as a <laughs> as a robot because this is unreal um okay until next time uh i'm brian Taporic. uh i was joined as always by morton jensen and sarah chalea and also our special guest sam Vassini. so check all of them out on twitter it's been real guys uh i'm gonna go run oh my god it says Woj is saying now just a package to include a first future first from the sixers so Pray, everyone. Pray for pray for this trade trade to come through. Uh, but get yourself a cold shower there. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm too excited. Uh, all right, guys. Thanks for joining us all, and uh, have a good weekend. Take care, y'all. You too, Brian. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the. Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.